and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more life. I forget that uh, the year that my dad had open heart surgery in Wichita Falls and found out um, he was born without a descending artery. They didn't know if he was going to make it. I drove through the night back from Hendricks College to see him, and um, I was scheduled to sing that as um, a solo in the evening choral service in the chapel at the Floral Heights Methodist Church. And so every time I hear that story, I think of that season and that time and what it was like to walk in because my mother worked the emergency room. I knew the back door of the hospital and no one expected. My mother raised an independent person and so I just left from Conway, Arkansas and drove the seven hours, didn't tell them. I had a, y'all remember those dual tank pickup trucks, the old GMCs? I had an old GMC dual tank truck, topped them off, snuck in the back door by the ER and walked in next to my dad's bed. It was about 3.45 a.m. in the morning and just sat with him. It was the first time it was the first time that I, as a male, learning how to deal with emotions healthily, looked at my dad in the eye, and it was an I love you. And the I love you didn't come from that place of just like, you know, love you. It was that place of, I love you. But I hope as, as we read these scriptures that that same sense of the depth of the love that God has for you, you're going to hear in what we talk about today. But God was setting in motion this relationship with you from the beginning of creation. And here's the importance of how that happened at the most famous small town in the world, Bethlehem. Herod is actually, we're stretching ahead. This is where Herod's got the wise men coming in and they're looking for the birthplace of Jesus. And so in verse 4 of chapter 2, Herod calls together the, the wise men, and, and it says, When he had called together all the people's chief priests and elders of the law, he asked everybody, Where is this Messiah to be born? And they said, In Bethlehem in Judea. And they replied, Because it is written, this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I invite you to bow with me in prayer. Eternal God, show us your word and your covenant in your word and your grace in your covenant and your goodness in your grace and your love in your goodness and yourself in your love. And all this in the face of the one who's cradled in Mary's arms, Jesus Emmanuel. You, O oh God, who love us and is with us. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. When you visit the Holy Land today, it is an incredibly stark contrast because Bethlehem and Jerusalem sit immediately adjacent to each other, much like Atascacita and Humble, or Kingwood and Atascacita sit adjacent to each other. There is the famous wall now that separates the two. You actually go through uh, different customs aspects. You will go to see the Church of the Holy Nativity that was constructed in 326. 
um, the same location, not the same structure, exists today. But one of the oldest structures to survive all the conquest in the Holy Land. You go down to the Church of the Holy Nativity, down these weathered steps, and you can go to the literal place that is commemorated as the birthplace of Jesus. You'll also visit what's called the Shepherd's Field. And as much as you can stand in places within Jerusalem and look into Bethlehem and see the barbed wire and the walls, there is this incredible conflicting and contrasting moment when you stand at the place called the Shepherd's Field and you can actually look over and you see the barbed wire fence that's there. It's a double barbed wire separated by six feet with sensors on it. And then what there will be is a path of about eight to ten feet of of dirt that is smoothly laying, so when that is driven every day, if there are footsteps, they know that someone has attempted. This is a redundant system of security. And it's such a conflict. But that wasn't always the significance of Bethlehem. It was, it was often an overlooked kind of place. But Bethlehem has always been on the map. We can go back and as we listen to the text, remember how we always say, let the text teach you. Verse 4, Herod calls together the chief priests and the prophets. In other words, he gets the teachers together. And from the Jewish context, there is a hope and an expectancy that the Messiah will be born in this place called Bethlehem. Everybody knows that they're looking to that place. You can actually, adjacent to the Church of the Holy Nativity, if you fill out this text in Matthew chapter 2, you actually can go to St. Catherine's Church. They're immediately adjacent to each other. But there is a chapel below St. Catherine's, built over the area known as the Chapel of the Innocents, where they have discovered archaeologically um, thousands of bones of children approximately the age of two. So if you listen to the text and remember the slaughter, and this place is called, it's eerie, smooth weathered stones um, and separated. And, and it's not a place that you do tourism. It's a place that you stand in awe. It's a place where you look through an area that has these beautiful wrought iron reliefs as you understand, you are staying in a place where the fresh, great slaughter of the innocents because Christ has come into this world, these children. It's just an amazing movement to realize the conflict of the world that is so contrasting with the love of God for you and me. And I would dare say, friends, the world still needs that kind of love today. It needs that kind of love that the message of the gospel will only carry a God who says, I love you. You are welcome in this place. I will find you and I will lift you up. Jesus comes from this particular place. It is small. It is powerless. It is hidden. But reaching back into Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we often read in the carols and services that you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are not the smallest. And so Bethlehem, was actually known as a place of bread. It's really fascinating to think about. Within the Hebrew and the Aramaic, the word Ephrathath is actually about bread. So it's house of bread. But in the Arabic, it's house of meat. And only because the word is so close when you translate and transliterate the letters. But 
oftentimes those who lead your pilgrimage will remind you that Bethlehem was the place where David grew and learned to shepherd. It was the place where David's great-grandmother was buried, the, met uh, Ruth who met Boaz, a place where uh, so much history of both shepherd and shepherding is taking place. It was the place where the sheep were raised, many of whom would be taken over to be the paschal sacrificial lambs, the short journey over to Jerusalem. But it's also a place where the shepherds were. And of course, as you round out the story, what I hope is coming to mind for you is that quite literally, this imagery is, it is a place of both the shepherd and the sheep. What happens in Bethlehem, this place known as the house of bread, it's the place that the one who Micah describes to us in Micah chapter 5, verse 4, he says that the one who is to be born there, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. It's a particular nuanced construct in Hebrew in Micah chapter 5, verse 4, because this word for everlasting literally, mean, literally means days of eternity. A professor in seminary said it this way, think of it as the eternal present. It's kind of a, it's sort of a contrast, right? The eternal present. So in other words, the Messiah is going to be born. He's not going to be created. He's going to be born. But this eternal present one, who's always existed, is going to break into our human story. And it's not going to be in a way that is filled with fanfare. I'll make a confession. Um, I struggle with, in the Christmas season, how sometimes when we do lean into the celebrative music, we at times can go so far that it becomes a show of what happens at Bethlehem rather than remembering the journey. Because if we were really going to recreate Bethlehem, it wouldn't be with a towering Christmas tree filled with people in the sense of uh, cranberry apple spice plugins everywhere. It would be with a smell of manure. Right? I mean, just get the imagery. There's no place. I don't know about you, but I was up at 3.30 this morning. Like you, right? The rain was coming and everything. Was, I just, and I thought about this message. I thought about, I wonder, was it raining that night? I wonder, I mean, how difficult was it on Mary? I mean, she was on the back of a donkey. It wasn't the familiar surroundings. The family wasn't around. The surroundings were so simple. And the people to whom in Bethlehem God went was the shepherds to proclaim the good news that the Messiah has been born. But in today, even in our own sanctuary, what reminds you? No, we've got the evergreens. We don't have the hay and manure. Sometimes we pottery barn the gospel message too much. Because this is what it all boils down to. Not what it smells like, but who loves you. And the one who loves you, that's the one who said, let there be light, and there was light, and he came to be the light of the world. And the one cradled in Mary's arms is the one who literally hung the stars into their place, and yet he is found beneath the star created known as the natal star. And the one who made creation becomes created so that you and I can know how amazing God's love is for you and me. 
Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. listen to the text. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, the Word became flesh and it dwelt among us. Paul echoes in Colossians that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, and for and by him all things were created and nothing was created without him. Christ has been a part of God's journey to find you and me. But what's been happening is we get distracted by the fanfare and forget the essence of the message. In Matthew chapter 5, I just commit it to your reading. It's an amazing text. This phrase rolls out that says, This one who is to be born, this shepherd, he shall stand and he shall feed his flock. So that the one who is going to be the good shepherd first will be cradled in Mary's arms. The one who is going to be the Paschal Lamb of God is the very Lamb. And that's what John the Baptist says, right? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, everything about Bethlehem is the collision of the values and trajectory of the world with this relentless love and pursuit of God. It's always been that way. Now you and I, we're headed to Bethlehem. What shall we see? I want to peel back one layer of word and nerd out for a moment on the Hebrew word because I think that it tells us something profound about this was not accidental. This was a purposeful reach of God to you and me. So Bethlehem is house of bread. And the bread is the word of of, of, uh, translated through the Arabic. Uh, again, the Arabic is the Bethlehem is the meat, and in the Hebrew and the Aramaic, it is bread. But the extra word that is not mentioned in Matthew, but is mentioned in Micah, is Ephrathath. And that word means fruitful. And if you move a little bit further back and understand what the words nuanced mean, it is the fruit of the vine. So the one who would be the savior of the world, see if you can catch this little potential nuanced reach of God's love. When we gather on Christmas Eve, we will have communion together. And we will celebrate the one who is born in this place, who is the bread of life, and gather around a common loaf. And we will celebrate the one who is the sacrificial gift that takes away the sins of the world and the fruit of the vine, the wine, represented in the cup of forgiveness. This is who Jesus is. It is not an accident. 
It is the divine conspiracy of a God who loves you so much, he would pour his life out for you. So what does that mean for you and me? It means that we go back to where we started this conversation months ago. It is not just about the knowledge of who Christ it is. It's about following the way of Christ. It's about integrating this radical love that is self-sacrificing and letting it impact every aspect of the decisions that we make. Phyllis Brooks was in Bethlehem in 1868. He's one of the most famous pastors in the history of the life of the church. He was known as the Prince of the Pulpit, and following the Civil War, he journeyed to the Holy Land and stayed in Jerusalem. And back then, you obviously couldn't Uber, but he got a donkey. He rented a donkey, as tradition says, and he rode to the shepherd's field that you can visit today, And throughout the course of the night on Christmas Eve, he was pinning the words looking for hope and looked out over the town of Bethlehem and wrote the hymn that we know so well, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. But verse 3 is the one that I think speaks so clearly to our heart. And I want to tell you the story of how it came to be. You see, well, it may have been that in 1868, Phyllis Brooks made that visit and he penned out the poetry. It was a couple of years later when they were looking for a, um, a, a melody for a new song so the children could easily sing at the Christmas pageant at Trinity Church in Boston. And so here's what happened. The Sunday school superintendent was also the organist, and his name was Louis Redner. And Brooks asked him to compose a simple melody, and so Redner gets a little bit of pressure. You know, hey, here's this beautiful poem that I've written, says, it would be like if I went to Elena and said, hey, I've written this wonderful poem, would you go write a beautiful melody for it? She's going to feel a little bit of pressure to come up with something really good. And he struggled and struggled. Then, then listen, he was in the middle of the night, when he was awakened from a sleep, and he went and sat down, and he said the melody flowed from his hand, and until the moment that he died, he said, it was a gift from God, the melody that was given to me. The melody that carries the words that we sing today. Where has God awakened you from the sleep? Where has your life so incredibly been touched by the love of Christ that you can do no other than to share the love of Christ with the world. Or as the words of Brooks, how silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given, so God imparts to human hearts the blessing of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Will you receive him? Will you let this transforming love of God that has always been about living at the intersection of the conflict between God's love reaching toward us and the brokenness and darkness of division in the world? And don't miss this simple truth, friends. It was in the night, in the darkness, that Christ was born. Because it's in the darkness that the light of Christ 
shines brightest. As you journey, as you read this week in your devotions, listen for the ways in which you may have become calloused or dull to this transforming love of Christ and let it impact every decision that you make. And may it give you courage that when you feel overwhelmed and when you feel so very small in the midst of all things, you would know that the light of the world was born in the most famous small town in the world, Bethlehem, the house of bread. And as Micah says, Ephrath, the place of the fruit of the vine. This is God's love for you. And nothing you have done can change it. Nothing you will do will change it. And Christ will be born and we will rejoice We will lay aside the things of the past faults and failures of our own lives, and we will walk in a way that leads to life. This is the great good news of the gospel. God's love for you, God's love for me, God's love for all. Let's pray together. God, would you forgive us for the ways in which we get so wrapped up in the tinsel and the decorations and the distractions of Christmas? Would you remind us that actually as people of faith, we're not at Christmas yet, we're in Advent, we're still people of expectancy. And in this journey to Bethlehem, would you help us to recognize that the journey to Bethlehem was filled with surprises, unexpected things, in human terms, but your resilient divine love laid out the drama and the path of salvation. And we read that story again today, God. Your truth revealed in the trust of Joseph and Mary, the love that displayed in the birth of Christ and the story of salvation that you write. God, help us let you write the story of our lives. And where we need to end a chapter and begin a new one, grant us your courage and strength to recognize what will be required of us to be an open heart where Christ will still enter in. For this we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people did say, Amen. Amen.